Well, welcome to the latest edition of ASA's podcast with me, Dr. Chris Keel. So I know I'm supposed to call this Keeping It Real with Dr. Keel, but it just always sounds so silly. So anyway, (laughs) we'll move from there. So this is a week where they kind of entered dangerous territory and let me pick the topic. Uh, So this is not something that came from the ASA organization itself or any of the members. You left it up to me, which is probably a mistake that you'll never repeat. But this is this is the topic that is on my mind at the moment. Earlier this week, we were dealing with the potential of a freight rail strike, uh, and that's something that would have had absolutely disastrous implications for the U.S. economy. The media was trying to give some credence to it, but I don't think they really understood the depth of the issue. Had we encountered an actual honest-to-God freight rail strike, and there is still an outside chance that this won't be ratified by the unions, it's very, very unlikely uh, the tentative deal has been reached, but the vote still has to be taken, and there's always that chance. But had we actually had one of these, we would very definitely have entered recession territory almost immediately. Whatever progress we've been making on the supply chain would vanish overnight. And one of the things that we really have to pay attention to, and we have been for the last couple of years, is the fragility of the supply chain. So the freight strike was something that was threatened. It had been authorized. Um, Theoretically, it was going to begin on September 29th. Uh, The unions had given the mediators a few more weeks to sort of work out a deal. It really never felt like it was going to go full strike because the issues at the end were fairly minor. Uh, They weren't really around wages. They weren't really around even retirement. They weren't really even around working conditions particularly. It was basically resting on demands for more schedule predictability. Um, There was a desire for kind of more attention to work patterns, um, some of work condition, work and responsibilities, but kind of amorphous. There wasn't the usual, we're arguing for a certain account of, of, of pay. They got very substantial pay raises. Um, they got very substantial increases in the retirements. Uh, so many of the things that you'd expect to see in a union negotiation took place, and the workers were very definitely in a high-leverage position and took advantage of it. That is inevitably going to translate into some inflation at the transportation level. Logistics costs have already been going up. Uh, This has been basically due to labor shortages. We're still dealing with the circumstance where there are seven loads or for, for, or I'm sorry, seven loads for every truck on the road. So we are still dealing with a very substantial deficit. There aren't enough drivers. There aren't enough trucks. There aren't enough rail cars. There aren't enough airplanes. The supply chain is still way under capacity. And, and this is something that is continuing to make an issue out of any sort of shipping in or shipping out. Um, you combine that with all the mess that's still going on with China. The labor shortage there is acute. Uh, the fact that they're shutting down ports and shutting down operations continues to be a problem. They're still trying to deal with COVID the way that they have for the last 10 years, um, despite the fact that there's no way this can work. I mean, it's 
we've talked about this before, this version of COVID is not called the stealth virus for nothing. You know, it's one of those things where people have it, don't know they have it, blah, blah, blah. It requires you testing people every day. Realistically, China can't do that. Uh, they have been dealing intensely with the pandemic for the last two years, but they've had various types of outbreaks over the last eight to 10 years, and they have continued to try to take a pretty draconian approach, which is now really catching up with the economy. We don't have the congestion on the ports that we did have because the shipments are not coming from the other part of the world as regularly as they had been. But there's this concern at some point that if China begins to relax some of these lockdowns, you are suddenly going to get a tremendous backlog building up at the ports almost overnight. And there's, there's not much confidence in our ability to handle that capacity increase. What other things can we talk about as far as transportation? The We talked about this once before um, as far as shifting kind of the way freight is handled uh, in the United States. And I'm trying to remember the last time I made this a podcast topic, but back, no, probably 10, 15 years ago, Kansas City Southern Railroad, which is the smallest of the class ones, invested heavily in Mexico by buying the second largest Mexican railroad. So Kansas City Southern to Mexico is the dominant railroad in most of the manufacturing sectors of Mexico. They're dominant in Querétaro and San Luis Potosí and Satillo and Monterey and Lázaro Cardenas, which is a port on the Pacific side of Mexico. That port is well underused and still has lots of capacity to expand. Then there is the port of Vancouver, which is dominated by Canadian Pacific, and it also has room for expansion. So when Canadian Pacific decided to try to buy Kansas City Southern, it was a fairly momentous moment in rail. The Surface Transportation Board had refused to allow mergers in the past. They had refused to allow Burlington Northern Santa Fe to buy KCS. They turned down Union Pacific. They turned down CSX. They turned down Canadian National. But Canadian Pacific is the second smallest class one. Kansas City Southern is the smallest class one. So when the two of them decided to combine, the Surface Transportation Board approved it. We, they plan to do, and this is what Canadian Pacific had to convince its investors of, is that they want to divert 45% of the freight that's coming into the West Coast, make it come to the middle of the United States, through Vancouver, through Lazaro Cardenas, then railed up to the middle of the United States. That's where the brake bulk and that's where the distribution would take place. That has tremendous implications for the supply chain because it really ends up making the middle of the country the distribution hub. The estimate is 800,000 to 1.7 million additional containers per week coming into the middle of the United States. So it encourages logistics development, it encourages warehouse development, it encourages a whole lot of this adjusting to that new supply chain which has tremendous implications for ASA members because it not only is going to affect where the materials are coming from that are required for the business, but also how you ship out. This is going to be happening pretty quickly because Canadian Pacific lines run to about the middle of Iowa 
and KCS lines run to about the middle of Iowa. So there's not a lot of overlap, if there's any. So the two of them will be able to combine their operations pretty quick. As a result, you're putting even more emphasis on freight rail. (laughs) Back to my first original point. The freight rail strike would have definitely affected the economy, but it also reminds us how dependent we are on the rail network. And that will become increasingly obvious as you get some of the shipment and the additional reshoring and all the rest of that stuff that's bringing manufacturing back. So kind of a rambling subject matter today, really revolving around transportation logistics. But everyone in the industry, ASA members, any manufacturer has been noting that logistics costs are going up, going up fast, um, maybe faster even than the actual rate of inflation. And that's something that is unlikely to change, even if we start to get some relief around the oil and gas issue, that supply chain push on inflation is still there. And if you've looked at the commentary by the central banks, by the Fed, they have consistently, from the very beginning, said a lot of our inflation is due to supply chain. And there's not a lot we can do about supply chain with interest rate hikes. So this is one of those things that even with the efforts to control inflation, that supply chain push is going to continue to be a problem. So with that, I leave you contemplating the rail system and ports and container ships and all the other things that go with logistics, and I will talk to you next week.